I'm going to be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, and just as we have throughout this whole season of Lent, which today is the fourth Sunday, we've been looking at these stories in the Gospel of Luke where people come and they bring their questions to Jesus about a whole variety of topics. And so today you'll see an encounter between a person and Jesus in which they bring them this particular question. So listen now to God's Word from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Listen to God's word. Jesus went through one town and village after another, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? He said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able When once the owner of the house has got up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then in reply he will say to you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I do not know where you come from. Go away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrown out. Then people will come from east and west and north and south and will eat in the kingdom of God. Indeed, some who are last will be first and some who are first will be last. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Let's pray together. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Earlier this week on Monday, I was here at the church in the church office and given the information that we had at that time, we thought that we would be able to continue to come to church so long as we were able to be six feet away from one another. And so we were working that day. We came up with a good plan of what we felt like would be the right next steps for our staff being here together in the church for the next few weeks. And then at about 1.30 p.m., Uh, we got the message that we were going to be sheltering in place for at least the next few weeks. And we all looked at each other and we thought, well, I guess we all have new plans for the next few weeks and we won't be seeing each other like the way we had thought that uh, we had just discussed in our little staff meeting. And as we were talking, it was 1.30 p.m. in the afternoon and we closed the office at 2 o'clock anyways. And so we were getting ready to say goodbye to each other for the next day. And then we thought, no, now we have to say goodbye to each other for maybe a few weeks. And then we all looked at each other and we thought, wait a second, I don't have any groceries at my house. We need to go grocery shopping this afternoon. So a few of us left the office and went grocery shopping. And I thought, I might as well go get a few things too. So I got in my car and I drove down Britain Ave onto Laurel. And I was going to go to Trader Joe's. And as I was pulling in on Laurel Street, the line from Trader Joe's was all the way out the front door. It wrapped around the parking lot through that street in between CVS and Trader Joe's and was all the way out on Laurel Street. 
And I thought, oh my goodness, that's a long line, but I probably should get a few things. So I got out of my car and I got into line with everybody. It took 45 minutes to get in to Trader Joe's. They're only letting 20 people in at a time to get the items that they needed. And while we're all standing in line, wondering about how far apart we should be from one another, it was this bizarre, strange experience. The managers at Trader Joe's had shut down the automatic opening doors and they were prying the doors open themselves to let just a few people in at a time as other people came out. People had push carts at Trader Joe's filled with stuff, which as you know, Trader Joe's is usually you just go there to get a couple of things. You don't fill up the shopping cart. It was a surreal experience. It was so bizarre. And I got to the front of the line and the, guy, and the manager closed the door on me and I just felt my heart start to palpitate. Like, will there be enough stuff for me? Will I be able to get in and get the things that I need for my family? I felt this rising sense of anxiety while I was in there. And then I finally got into the store and I got a couple of things. Yes, many things were gone. And as I was checking out, one of the guys next to me uh, said, I like this. I, I like this. We should do this all the time. Only let 20 people into the store at a time. And I thought, you're the only person I think that likes this. Everybody else is pretty terrified and nervous and anxious right now. Uh, some of us laughed at him saying that, and we just kind of laughed about it. And then we, we exited Trader Joe's. We left. It was such a strange, surreal, bizarre experience. I bet you had some strange, bizarre experiences this week. Maybe you stood in line for a variety of different kinds of things and grocery stores and going to Costco or something like that, and you experienced something like that. I'm sure you had bizarre, weird experiences like this, just like I did. And these experiences of standing in line and getting into stores has brought a whole new meaning to me about the story from the Gospel of Luke chapter 13, where Jesus talks about the narrow door and striving to enter into the narrow door. You can imagine this person coming to Jesus and saying to him, will only a few be saved? Jesus very simply could have just answered the person's question. But instead, Jesus tells him a story. And it's a slightly scary story at the beginning of it. Strive to enter through the narrow door. Only a few people are going to get in. You might knock at the door. You might be left out where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, Jesus' answer is not so reassuring at the very beginning of the story. It's, it's pretty scary. It's pretty terrifying. I think we all can identify with the troubling nature of this story as a result of our lives in the past week. I bet you can experience that as well. You, you can feel the tension in the midst of the story from Luke chapter 13. Christians for thousands of years have been trying to wrestle with the tension they experience in this story and other stories in the New Testament and the Old Testament that deal with salvation. But what does it mean to be saved? And these other stories like Jesus saying, outside the gate there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What do we make of hell as Christians? These are profoundly difficult questions and difficult stories for us as Christians to try to understand. And so I want to highlight just a couple of Christian thinkers that have been instrumental in the way in which we've thought through some of these ideas, especially as it pertains to Luke chapter 13. Augustine was one of the most famous theologians of the last almost 2,000 years. He was uh, Bishop of Hippo in the fourth century, 
and he was a prolific writer. And his theologies about hell and salvation are really still the mainstream thoughts for most of Christianity across the globe. And especially for Roman Catholic traditions, they hold pretty tight to what Augustine had to say about hell and salvation. Augustine said a few things like this. He said that hell is real. There's an actual place called hell. Hell is penal. It's a punishment. Hell is just. Hell is severe. Hell is a few other things, too, that he mentioned. And it's, it's really hard to read, but he acknowledged that some will be saved and some won't. Some will go to this place. And this is the predominant view of most of Christians for the past 2,000 years. The minority report comes from theologians and ancient theologians, sort of like Origen. Origen was a Greek theologian from many, many years ago, uh, about the same time as Augustine. And Origen said, Augustine, you may be right about a variety of these things. I'm not sure he actually said that he may be right about a few of these things to Augustine. He said, you might be right about a few of these things. But I hold all of this in tension with the belief that God is merciful and loving. So when I hold stories like this in tension with my belief in God being merciful and loving, I prefer to think of universal salvation, that all are saved. These things may be true, hell may be real, there may be a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, but my preference when I look at the whole of the story of Scripture is to suggest that all are saved. And this is sort of a minority report. Some people believe this. There's a few other options to think about how we think about salvation and hell. And one I want to highlight, which is the one I prefer when I try to think about these things. It comes from a 20th century uh, theologian named Karl Barth from Switzerland. He was a pastor and a theologian. And Karl Barth talked about his option being something called holy silence. He also called it reverent agnosticism at this question of who is saved and is there a hell? And what he meant by holy silence is that in the face of this question about who is saved, there's this really important theological concept that all of these things are unscrutable, inscrutable, which means that they are beyond the ways of our human knowing, that only God knows. We don't know the answers to these kinds of questions about who will be saved and who will not be saved. And so if someone were to ask me this question, I would be silent about these matters, but I would hold out universal hope for everyone as a result of who I know about Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection. See, in this story in Luke chapter 13, the story begins, and it's harrowing, it's scary, going through the narrow door. But Jesus concludes this story with two sentences that I think are beautiful and profound and filled with incredible hope for us, friends. Jesus, at the end of this parable story, telling this person that there might be people left outside the gate, and then it transitions into this phrase where he says, but people will come from east and west and north and south and sit at table in the kingdom of of God. Like people who are going to be included in salvation history, included in this space, are going to be way beyond that you can even imagine. So this is a beautiful and hopeful word. And then Jesus says this curious thing that I think is totally relevant to our journey in Lent, which is that Jesus says, some who are last will become first, and some who are first will become last. 
at the very end of Luke's gospel, which is where we're headed, you can see the streamers above me right now. These streamers are meant to represent our movement towards the cross. Maybe you can't see it, but maybe you can see it now. The streamers are moving us towards the cross. Lent is about a journey and a season in which we are moving towards the cross. And in Luke's gospel, when we come to the crucifixion scene, Jesus is being crucified on a cross in between two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And in the midst of this story in Luke's gospel, Jesus is hanging there, and one criminal mocks Jesus and makes fun of him and says, if you're really who you say you are, the Savior of the world, why don't you just save yourself and come down from the cross? But the other criminal looks at Jesus and says to Jesus, 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 I deserve what's happening to me right now. This is what he says about himself. You don't deserve this. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He makes this beautiful profession of faith to Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom, when everybody else is mocking him. And Jesus looks at the criminal and turns his gaze upon the criminal and says, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is a beautiful gift of grace to this criminal. And I think the story of the crucifixion, it symbolizes the words that are read in Luke chapter 13, where the first becomes last and the last becomes first. Friends, Jesus is the first. In Revelation, we speak about Jesus as being the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first. He's the firstborn Son of God. And when we look at the cross at the end of our Lenten journey, there is Jesus hanging on a cross. And in hanging on a cross, he's become the last. He is the first that's become last. And though he's become last, it gives hope for everyone that they may be last to become first like that criminal. That criminal was promised a place in paradise. And that people will come from north, south, east, and west to sit at table in the kingdom of God. Friends, for all the strange and bizarre and anxious, weird experiences that we've had this past week, maybe you've had plans that you feel like you were so excited about that it got canceled or things that got disrupted in your life. You feel a sense of disorientation this week. Maybe all of the things that you are looking forward to have been disrupted in your life, and this has been a hard week. I hope you hear in this story that in the heart of God, and when we look at Jesus, the crucified one and the risen one, there is always hope in the midst of anxious times. There is always joy in the midst of this faithful life of following Jesus Christ. Right? The first becomes last and the last becomes first. Like We can't say for sure without a doubt who is saved and who is not saved. That's up to God. And the God that we see in the Holy Scriptures is one that's filled with profound hope and love and grace and mercy. And so I think we can extend universal hope for us and for all people. And we can stand in a bit silence to ourselves to answer this question. But there is hope. There's hope for you. There is hope for all of us in these times and in these hours of deep anxiety and stress. As Psalm 30 said when I opened our worship service with that reading, that joy comes in the morning. There may be weeping that lingers through the night, but joy comes in the morning in our relationship with God. A few weeks ago, um, well, um, a good friend of Katie and I, my wife and I, 
our friends had their second child, and we were anxious to hear their birth story and how it all went for them because they had their first child a few years ago, and they had a really hard journey with their first child. Our friend um, had to go to the hospital about six months into her pregnancy, and she had to stay in the hospital for a long time in a bed, and she couldn't go anywhere. And then she ended up having to have her baby early by C-section, and the baby was rushed into the NICU, and she was separated from her baby for a long time while it was getting better and getting well. And they just, whenever they recounted that story, it was always so hard. There was always tears. There was a sense of weeping and a sense of sadness and lament around that, that it just didn't go the way they had hoped it would go. And then they were got pregnant again, and a lot of those worries and those concerns were still there. Like, will this go the same way that it went before? They were worried, and they had weeping that sort of lingered in the night. And a few weeks ago, we got a text message that uh, they gave birth to their second child. And we were anxious. We were so excited to hear how it went for them. How did this go for you? Um, and we just, because of all the things going on, didn't get a chance to talk to them until a couple of days ago, in which we opened up our laptops, and we did Google Hangout with each other, and we got to see each other face-to-face -face through the screens. And when we opened up the laptop, there were our friends and they were holding their baby on their chest right here on their shoulder. And we knew before they even said a word that all was well with them. You could tell on the look on their face that all was well, all was okay. And they shared the story with us about their birth experience and it was beautiful and they felt like God was present and with them in that moment and they were so thankful for it as they held their baby on their chest. And I thought this was one of just the most beautiful things we'd ever seen. Even though they'd had this experience where they were weeping and they felt lament and they felt a great sense of loss, which I think we all can relate to right now, in the world of relationship with the crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ, joy and hope permeates. The first becomes last, the last becomes first. People will gather from north, south, east, and west to sit at table in the kingdom of God. It was a beautiful thing to see and a bright hope, a bright moment of hope for me. And I hope it's a moment of hope for all of us. Hope is alive in our community, even in the midst of these anxious times. So will only a few be saved? Let's pray together. Lord God, when it comes to this question about salvation, our gaze goes to the cross and our gaze goes to the resurrection. And from that vantage point, it's hard not to have hope because of who your son Jesus Christ is. He's filled with mercy and love and compassion he was filled with compassion for the criminal and his ministry of hope and good news spread across the world. And for that, God, we are a part of that good news and that hope as well. So Lord, may your joy rise upon us this day. May we know your hope in this hour. 
wherever we may be anxious or stressed or filled with lament and sadness or filled with loss right now. Lord, be with us. That is our prayer. Lord, be with us. Hear our prayers, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.